0: Good morning and good evening, or whenever you listen. This is Shark Brain. I am your host, Jake Newton. Thank you for tuning in, for turning on. It's a show about creativity and about artists, people who are living in a world that is completely unmoored and unregulated, seeking and searching, cutting through the undergrowth to find the gems and the heart and the juice that keeps all of us going. This week on the show, we've got Jonathan Kite, actor, comedian, Long form improviser, short form improviser for that matter, an impressionist. Many of you know him from his role on Two Broke Girls as Oleg, the lascivious Ukrainian cook, but I came to know him about three or four years ago when he was doing long form improv over at the Improv Olympic here in Hollywood, over of Hollywood Boulevard. A friend, Nicole Amy, who, if you're listening, Nicole, thank you, uh, said we should go over and check out these guys the improv company called El Ron Jeremy. They've been going for thirty weeks straight. It's amazing. You have no these guys are just phenomenal. They work together. It's just simpatico. So we went over there one night, it was a Monday, and uh I went for about five or six weeks straight and then continued to pepper in in and out, watching these guys go up against other improv teams and just absolutely murder and annihilate them. Not that those other improv teams weren't great. I mean, sometimes they were absolutely god-awful. It was like a team of Helen Kellers running around through the dark looking for a flashlight that wouldn't do them any good. But these guys were always preternaturally gifted and always within flow of each other and some of the funniest people. And to my mind, not to put too fine a point on it, one of the funniest, if not the funniest guy, was this guy Jonathan Kite. Now, um, he actually has done work with my kid's sister, who is also a comedian, and so they, they've worked together and gotten closer, As and uh, I just, he just came up into my mind. Ran into him one night at a bar, said, I wanted to come interview for you for the show. He was completely down. He came in, and we had a really great time. It was a really, really good talk. But before we get to all that, I wanted to talk to you and see how you were doing. Look, it's, it's January. All the mirth and all the joy of the holidays is completely gone. Maybe you never had it in the first place. Maybe you were completely stressed out trying to figure out what to get people to show them how much you loved them and get, didn't get the chance to actually breathe in and enjoy the time. I know that I feel a little bit less mirthful. It's not as joyous. For some reason, I think it was in the, the movie Shadowlands uh, with Anthony Hopkins where he plays C.S. Lewis. It was talking about uh, this time of year being the waiting room of the world because it's not the holidays and it's not spring. And so we all just... Slug it out. I mean, God knows you people on the East Coast with that polar vortex, which sounds like a, either a science fiction movie or a, or another flavor of Mountain Dew. But either way, it, it, it looks tough over there, guys. We feel for you. We do. But understand that you could move to California at any time. That's not California elitist. Well, yes, it is California elitist, but I just don't understand why everybody doesn't live here. Write me about that. Reach out. I want to thank those of you who have been writing to the show, writing about the show to me, or uh, about the show to other people and spreading the word. I really appreciate that. What's going on in Jake Newton land? I'm trying to be an adult. I'm being more organized. I'm experimenting. There's always within me these two warring factions. One that absolutely craves order and cannot function in a clear head without having absolutely everything dialed in. And the other one that just is absolutely boggled at the amount of energy it would take to be as studious and organized as the other half of my mind wants to be. So these two warring factions, this civil war of the cranium, keep on battering back and forth. But guess what? The organized guy is winning, at least for this week, because, hey, taxes are coming up and I've been actually taking pictures of receipts and putting them in digital folders, which is kind of like having an online organization sort of a thing I found the floor of my office it's amazing that's one good thing about having shark brain hosted over here at my place in the studios here is that I actually have to make a presentable uh, face to other people and not show that I live in my own filth for the majority of the time I don't know I don't know what's better for creativity I don't know what's better for happiness Um, I do know that I feel happier when it's cleaner for the most part it's just staying that way and keeping it there I have no clean habits Let's just say that. I don't wash a dish. I put it in the sink and I worry about it later. Future Jake's going to take care of that for me. Right now, I really got to get back and uh, make sure to do that thing. No. I. So, tell you what. I'm, I'm trying to be more of an adult. And I used to think that maybe it was just me. But then I went over to other people's houses unannounced and I realized that there's a lot of us out there like this. Matter of fact, I think there's a whole generation of us like that. I have one friend maybe three or four that i can count that are really studious and use a label maker religiously absolutely live in a state of of order or at least um cleanliness i don't do that and i feel i used to feel such shame about it i don't anymore i let myself off the hook after being around enough people to know that i am i'm not the worst i'm definitely nowhere near the top percentile of people that like to keep their life in order but uh, you know I don't know, maybe it was the way I was raised. My mom was always so very fastidious and uh, or at least kept us all clean. Ran around a lot. She had a lot of high energy. My dad was very low energy. I think I inherited that from my dad. Very low energy when it comes to actually moving around. can talk up a storm. Hell, why do you think I started a podcast? Um, but uh, yeah, there it sits. So trying to be more organized, trying to get back on the train, trying to run more for my health, get back into guided meditation. Or at least non-transcendental meditation to sit and breathe and unplug. I don't know. Maybe maybe the reason why I want to get into that and the reason why I don't are the, the two polar opposites pulling me in different directions. I feel like underneath the surface of all of this day-to-day Facebook, Myspace, 21st century, thin bullshit that I lacquer over myself every single morning when I wake up. Underneath all of that, in repose, once an hour or two of quiet is beginning to decompress, there is this genius person waiting to be let out. That's the one side. And so I can sit there and think, oh, I've got this diamond inside of me, and just I can just wait for it to open up and blossom. And, uh, and the fact that I don't uh, means that I don't have to be responsible for whatever comes out. Also, hey, I have the added benefit of... If there isn't a genius in there and it's just still me with my dumb face, then I I don't have to understand that harsh, rough truth. I can just uh, go about my life um, like I was talking about before in a few other podcasts. Uh, You you know, just this, this piece of potential. But some exciting things are happening to move through that. I'm setting up a system, guys. My anal retentive subverted self is going to blast through my lackadaisical tomorrow self. And uh, we're, we're going to try to synthesize it into something. A new record. Working on that. Writing it. Writing it. Writing it. <sighs> what can I tell you else? What else? The anxiety has started to creep back. I think I miss running. I gotta let it go. You know what? I had a great conversation with uh, Paul Cartwright, who's a uh, string player. He's doing the latest editions of the Father John Misty record. Played with him on a gig a a couple weeks back. Him and Garrison Starr, we were all in a car together, and we were talking about being able to do whatever the hell it is that you want, just following your voice and following your muse and going against a lot of people's advice, which seems to be kind of an American trope that we like to to run down. Henry Ford, Howard Hughes, any number of people who blasted through naysayers, telling them that it was never going to be possible and that it was a terrible idea and that they were madmen. I find that the narrative true, the narrative to be true, I should go back saying that with a lot of artists that I know that are doing stuff that may not be my cup of tea or may not even be the way that I would have done it or or would normally do it because I kind of suffer under the idea that if you're going to put out a record or or make a movie, any number of those things, you have to look for financing one way or another and you have to go down the regular ways that people have been doing it for the last 50 years or 50 to 75 years depending on what – model you're talking about for making art, when really the entire mooring is is unhinged. We can do it however we want to do it. Everyone has the capability, but well that's both good and bad, to pursue whatever you want. And just because you may not have funding, or a Neve console, or a Sony Red, does not mean that you can't Find your inspiration, move towards it, and start to make it. You know why it doesn 't feel like a real movie because it never feels like a real movie i 've been on a real movie set, a big one i 've been on the tiny movie sets i've been I've played for a huge record, a Grammy nominated record. i've played for records that never saw the light of day. It felt the same every single damn time because I was always there with me as myself in my own human suit. So take hold, guys. I'm saying this as much to myself as I am to anyone else. You know the reason why it feels like the real thing when it feels like the real thing is because you let it feel like the real thing. You can do it at any moment. So, that being said, I'm going to start my damn record. It's been too long. It'll be three years between the, this record and the one before. So, I'll be sending you updates about that. Sign up for the email list. I've had... Uh, I've had a lot of great feedback come through that. You can sign up there at uh, Shark Brain Podcast or at jakenewton.com. There's some new things coming up. Can't really tell you about them yet. I'm excited. I'm really bad at keeping the secrets, so I hope that uh, hope that I hold out. Anyway. Let's get to talking to Jonathan Kite. I had a great conversation with this guy, and it kept on going after we turned the mics off. He was late to his next appointment from staying so long and actually talking to us, just nerding out about comedy stuff that I'm a huge fan about and about the business side of the art. And And uh, he's a warm-hearted, open individual. I'm not going to call him a nice guy. He was a nice guy, but that's just so... It carries a context. He is a, he is a mysterious and warm-hearted individual. Take that. So without further ado, here we have a conversation with Jonathan Kite. On the one and only Shark Brain.
1: Chicago, huh? Yeah, born and raised. No, um, Skokie, Illinois. Mm -hmm. There's a. I got into a a party. I learned a lesson a long time. Well, I never really claimed to be from Chicago, Mm -hmm. and I totally understand why people claim because. Illinois is mostly farmland. It's yeah. so flat. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, you could say Kankakee if you want to talk about corrupt politics or if you yeah. want to talk about the different university towns that are around. But um, Skokie, Illinois is right on the border of Chicago. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so it got famous because... Uh, I don't know how many of your listeners are Nazis, but the uh, the Nazis marched on Skokie and they did a movie called Skokie with Danny Kaye oh, and yeah. Brian Dennehy. Okay. And it was like, I think it was like very the early 80s. Yeah, what well,
0: year was that? I was like, Danny Kaye.
1: Yeah, 80, maybe 80, 81. Mm-hmm. And, then, um, and then, of course, uh, Kevin Spacey says Skokie, Illinois, yeah, in, Shop Quartet yeah. and Usual Suspects. Mm-hmm. So people at least know where that's from, but it's funny because when I was out here, I always said Chicagoland area, mm-hmm. Skokie, Illinois, and a lot of my friends... Would say Chicago, even though they weren't from yeah. Chicago, and then people would it's like go in like, "Oh, well, what part? What is that street?" I got and called he had, out uh-huh. at a party, embarrassingly. I mean, n- uh, my friend just got he got a uh, he got a real kind of a, awakening call from this woman who's mm-hmm. ten sheets to the wind, and yeah. yeah, and he just, so her he,
0: prefrontal lobe is just dead, and so she's just saying what comes yeah, out yeah. in
1: front of people that he doesn't know oh. that she. Is a leader of. Oh, no. So we were at this house party that we kind of... I don't even know how we found ourselves there. But we were drinking a lot. And um, I think that it just kind of came out for him. He's from Glenview. Mm -hmm. And which is not... It's close to Chicago, relatively. But Mm -hmm. it's not... um, if If you were from... Illinois, you wouldn't say I'm from Chicago if you were from Glenview, because people would say that's like a 45 minute drive. Yeah. Yeah. You'd say
0: like, well, John Hughes filmed around my town. That's right. No, that's exactly right. You would
1: pick something famous that people have heard of, and you would, um, you would explain it that way, but it was, he just got, Reamed. Reamed.
0: Yeah, and this is, well, it's that Midwestern pride, you know, the specificity of, you're like, oh, I'm from, th- I'm from downtown Chicago, I'm from this part of Chicago, I'm from this shit, I'm from the goods parts, you know? That's right. Yeah, and then to not have
1: that at all, you know, to think, it's very, very strange. I'm you know? Chicago adjacent. Adjacent. You're like, you're not, sir. <laughs> uh, uh, oh, really? Oh, really? You're Chicago Sherpa, because that's what it would take to get you <laughs> from where... In the old hey, days,
0: does the metro run to your house? Oh, it doesn't. Okay, it, uh,
1: it's funny. we have a, we have a line that's on the the elevated, the L train, which uh-huh. um, people that's like the big train system besides the metro, mm-hmm. and um, it's older. And it's um, we have the Skokie Swift, which mm-hmm. is the the there's only two of the suburbs. Um, Evanston has mm-hmm. the purple line, and Skokie Swift is the yellow line, mm-hmm. and those like not right up to my parents' house, but it was so cool because. Um, we were two of the only suburbs that could get there. Oh yeah, <laughs> by the train, which was which was really nice. Did you go as a
0: kid? Did you go into the city a bunch?
1: I did. My mother worked um, on Michigan Avenue uh, for many, 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 many years. Probably more than she'd like mm. to admit. Yeah. What did she do? Selling airtime for radio. Okay. And then she worked um, in the front office at US 99, which is, uh, I think, the biggest country station in the Midwest. Wow. And she's a big country artist, a big country music fan, probably. Mm-hmm. And um, she, so I would go down there and visit her, and I actually interned. In her office for two summers, in not with her, but in the same building that mm-hmm. she was uh, working in for two summers in in, um, in uh, high school. Okay, so I would go down there with her all the time. Yeah,
0: mm-hmm. it was great. And all to, to around, did you see shows like as a kid? I did. Yeah. yeah,
1: we had really good theater going through there. Saw Second City all uh-huh. the time. Yeah, when I was when I was a kid, it was like Tina Fey, Rachel Dratch, Kevin Dorf. Uh, Keegan Michael Key. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was really, really good people. Yeah, there was a, the whole wide swath of those guys at K. Who else was um?
0: Uh, what's his name from Anchorman? Um, David Koechner. Yeah, Koechner. Yeah, just yeah, mm-hmm. crushed crushed
1: around then. Um, Farley and Meadows were there like right before. Right before they you... would let me in okay. because they were like '88, yeah. I think. And mm-hmm. so Meadows came back when I was in high school. He mm-hmm. came back and guest starred while he was on SNL, and it was like the biggest thing in the world for oh, us. Yeah, because <laughs> they never announced that stuff, and the yeah. internet. Was not No, you couldn't. use. Al look, Gore hadn't thought of it yet. No, he
0: hadn't. Well, good Good on him because... Yeah. You know, like, oh, he had. He hadn't shared yeah. it with the world. That's true. Well, you know, he has to, you know, micro-test it in his own head, right? Yeah. yeah it's, it's like his way
1: of falling off the toilet, hitting his head <laughs> and coming, drawing the flux capacitor. So he had drawn the internet. Yeah.
0: In his Tico Brahe moment, you know? Yeah. Eureka. Yeah.
1: You know? Exactly. Oh, exactly.
0: 100%. So, growing up, did you... Um, were you more into comedy or were you more into, like, just the, the sketch stuff? What? When did it start for you? I
1: didn't do comedy um in terms of a separate thing other than acting for Mm -hmm. many many years until i got to college because um we didn't have a comedy troupe and we didn't have speech team in high school really so i think um when i was in high school we did you know shakespeare well i mean um not Shakespeare. we did uh we well we did a variety of things we did kind of everything yeah but we did um Comedies, dramas, musicals, mm-hmm. kind of abstract pieces. And we actually had um, two theaters in the high school. So there was like a smaller black box theater. Yeah. And then there was a large proscenium stage. Oh, great. And so there was stuff kind of going on all the time. Yeah, you could
0: do the small David Ray, like, you know, American Buffalo. That's exactly right. And, and then we you did the big shows on the... Yeah. yeah,
1: and it was great. And I think that that um, is a, um, probably... I, I really do. I I, I kind of a attribute any of my success right now to at least uh, partially to my beginnings at that high school, just Mm -hmm. because I think we had an incredible uh, mentor and, um, and he kind of in a good way was saying, let's try it all, see what you like. And then, you know, um, don't get uh, stuck in anything. So he really mixed it up. So the seasons were really varied. Mm -hmm. And even from year to year, if he knew that a a class had kind of done something the year before, Mm -hmm. it would probably be a few years before another Play like that would sort of make its way into the season. Okay, yeah, yeah, he was really smart, mm-hmm. and uh, so I didn't do comedy until um, I was in college when I went to the University of Illinois at Champaign, and there was an improv troupe called Spicy Clamato, uh-huh. and we I auditioned um, freshman year and I got in, and I was a four year guy there, mm-hmm. and it was a, it was short form games, yeah, um, which I think it's funny because I do long form now, yeah. I don't ever do short form. I feel like, yeah, but. To the college mind, I feel like short form was just it 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 seemed to work better. Yeah. I feel like people's attention spans, mm-hmm. maybe their wealth of knowledge. Yeah. The context, the contextual clues that yes. it's
0: inform long form, like to be able to do a callback to say, you know, a usual suspects or any number of those things. You just yeah. don't have the, you haven't had the free time to do it because you've been in a, you know, a parochial structure. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. So getting in there and then, yeah, looking back on all that stuff, when I first got to college, it was just, you know, my eyes were just open to all these things. I hadn't even heard of like Richard Pryor before. I always, I, I like, Bill Cosby was pretty much the only black comedian. Right. And, and then Chris Rock flew in and then it, and the, all your friends who had little bits and pieces of things from where they grew up bring your... And you all throw everything into a pile to this this common knowledge. Yeah, it like, absolutely. And yeah. I
1: wonder if long form... Because I think of um the way that the internet has changed so many things. Mm-hmm. And I think that... I wonder if long form would work better with college kids today. Not that their attention spans have changed at all. Maybe they've even, even gotten shorter. Mm-hmm. But... Their ability to get something in an incredibly accessible manner, yeah, is just so mm-hmm. much easier than when we were like. Yeah. There's no. I I remember going to college and getting email and having that kind of thing, and um, and and us being referenced either from movies or books or conversation. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you get lost on Wikipedia today, mm-hmm. you could accumulate such a, uh, you know, everything you'd want to know about the birth of Christ. Yeah, yeah. because when we when we did it, we um, we did games called um, the, something like This Point in History or a Moment in History, and mm-hmm. you would do events before or after that moment. Mm-hmm. And you could really tell there were some people in the group who were great at historical facts mm-hmm. and others who would just kind of support their idea and just kind of yes and yes then until them. the game was over. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, today I wonder at long form, like you were saying, there's so much that your brain has to retain, yeah. and I think that people are Sort of more used to it, having mm. devices in their hands all yeah, the time.
0: There's a density to the culture; it might not be yeah. richer,
1: but it's it's. But you're yeah mm-hmm. a different skill set, and mm-hmm. maybe your mind's ability to retain information mm-hmm. in a different way. Even like there's there are so many benefits I think mm-hmm. to having a phone with you. Yeah. And even if you're unaware of them at the time,
0: absolutely. Well, it's definitely our our, our brain chemistry is changing. Just my mind, personally, thinking about like 20 years ago, how you would just retain information. I used to do plays where I, you know, wouldn't drop a line, and I'd have like maybe a week to to learn all my lines. Now I can't keep them in. I, know, I can't. It's I had crazy. I did. I did a show last month, and I had like three pages. And I just sat there up all night, going like, I can't get him. I can't. I don't have it. I can't get him. I can't put him in. I can't put him in. Wow. And so I just. I was this. It's for me. I think I need to just you know hit the reboot for a little bit. It's you know. practice too. Yeah. I I
1: would say because I the show that I'm on, Cat Dennings, um, is so remarkable at memorizing lines. It's all, it's like one of the most impressive things I've ever seen. Because I just know I used to be um, in college. I I did a play called Bash. Mm-hmm. which is a Neil Labute play, and um, it's three short plays that all have to do with different definitions and expressions of the term, the meaning, the word bash. Mm-hmm. And the one that I did was the middle section that had been done on Broadway, I think with, um, my part was Paul Rudd played oh, yeah, And so it was Paul Rudd and Callista Flockhart were these young... Um, I think they were, I don't, sorry, it's been so many years, but they were two, they're they they're a Mormon couple and they had gone to a dance and they're young. I think they Mm are in college or high school or something. And it's all monologues for the most part. And Mm -hmm. I remember I had been able to memorize it because I had done Waiting for Godot like Mm -hmm. the year before or two years before. (laughs) And I've been able to memorize Godot, not fast, but very quickly Uh because I have a, my brain works that way. And then I try to, you know, you go away from doing it because in our, Situation you know out here I feel like for most people even unless you're on a television show you're Mm -hmm. memorizing short things for auditions Mm -hmm. and it's it's a it's an example of what is to come if you book the job but Mm -hmm. but you know it's it's very short spurts Mm -hmm. so you lose that ability to. To long term retain mm-hmm. and chunk retain because people don't in auditions don't want to sit through you doing a five minute monologue.
0: No, they really don't. Yeah, yeah they want, they want little snippets here and there. Yeah, yeah. Now going back a little bit, out of college or in college, yeah, like, as you're moving forward, um, there's was Second City and Del Close and all those guys like a, a big uh, towering figure over you guys just because it was it
1: was a Chicago thing or was it? I think it was. I'm I'm proud because I think they're so. I think you get lucky when you're from Chicago. Being from Chicago, you get a lot of um, you get a lot of good vibes your way. Yeah. people love the city. They yeah. love Second City, especially mm-hmm. in our community. They love Steppenwolf. Yeah, they love the Goodman. They love Chicago Shakes. You yeah. know, for not being a coastal city, for not being New York or L.A. Yeah, this little town in the Midwest, which is so full of. Everything, even if people are unaware of it, um, that it's uh, it, it's amazing. And those who have, I, I, it's funny in all my time out here, I've never met somebody who didn't like Chicago. I'm sure yeah. there are people that don't, mm-hmm. but I've never met them. And I think you know, having Second City people immediately that's a that's a that's a common ground for somebody. Mm-hmm. So you you talk about that, or yeah. you talk about the food, or you talk about the weather, yeah. and especially Del Close being who Del Close is. That is something that um pretty much everybody in comedy is aware of. Yeah. And so it kind of gives you, oh great, so you know who Del Close is. Yeah. And it it kind of allows them to kind of share things maybe and kind of open up themselves to you immediately mm-hmm. about, you know, their opinions on comedy or whatnot. Yeah. And so did, I think it's helpful.
0: Yeah. And does it inform a lot of like the way do you feel as though you have a, a, a worldview of a from a Chicagoan? Or do you is it just so it's I think that we like to do is, you know, talking about the density of the culture, we like to be able to truncate people and go like, oh, he's that, he's that, he's that, because otherwise I can't, you know, look into the depths of who he is. Totally. I just need to give him a quick label, a tag, so to speak. Yeah, absolutely. You need to filter
1: yourself. Yeah. Yeah, You tailor your Mm -hmm. jokes, conversation, opinions for that, um, for the small box you've put them in, Mm -hmm. not them. My father, actually, I credit more than anything because I think my father is – Uh, I don't know that he could beat up your dad, is what I would say. (laughs) But I think that he is probably the smartest guy I've ever met. Mm -hmm. And so I think that it was really important to him when my brother and I were growing up that we just kind of experienced the world. And he gave us books all the time Mm -hmm. and showed us. He was who introduced me to classic film. okay, And so I, um, you know, my mother took me to the live stuff. Like I went to... Oh man, you know, I think Cats was the first musical, but uh-huh. I think the fact that Chicago has that that my father didn't have to say, "Let's take a trip to go see these things." Mm-hmm. He would take us to the um the uh all these museums. Mm-hmm. Um What did he do? He works for the University uh, of North- Northwestern University and he runs the motor pool, so all the vehicles on campus uh, he's responsible for that the university um, is owns. Mm-hmm. And so he's really a mechanic mm-hmm. that kind of got promoted when the guy ahead of him retired because he's not... And he would be the first to say he's not an office guy. He yeah. doesn't... Mm-hmm. Uh, the ties he's worn in life are probably all clip-ons. Yeah. But, um, but he's a reader and he listens to a ton. If he's not sitting in bed reading or... Mm-hmm. You know, sitting at the he's he has books on tape. Yes, yeah, so he's this
0: hands-on, sagey kind of a guy. Yes, yeah. that's right. Mm-hmm. That's
1: exactly right. So it's cool, but the, the things that he could reference that we could go see them mm-hmm. instead of if we lived on. And I'm sorry, Greenland, mm-hmm. but if we live in Greenland, <laughs> you know, then and there's yeah. no internet at yeah. the time. It's 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 more of a. I always think like um like a Native American. Cultural, like like you know, old Native American like storytelling, Mm -hmm. and so it's you're you're trying to describe things to the best of your ability without you know so that the people don't have to see them. But the good thing is, with with my father, we could. Yeah,
0: that's great. Yeah, yeah. And so when you said to them, or did you? Was there a moment you said like, "Ah, I'm going to be a comedian, or I'm I'm going to be a comedic actor? I have to do this. And did you have that
1: moment with yourself or with your parents, or was it just always kind of just there? I did have it, but I think that my I was. My parents were a little worried um, because, you know, it's we didn't know anybody that had made it. Yeah, I think you know we knew a lot of people who were kind of working at it, especially from the high school, which Mm -hmm. was I think it produced a lot of working talented people that are you know alive and well in the industry today. But I think that it's always easier when something comes before you because it seems less scary. Mm -hmm. And I think my my mother's. Was my mother? She was totally on board with me the whole time. Mm-hmm. But my father is such a hands. He always, if I ever write a book, I'm gonna call it. Um, my father always wanted me to be a plumber, <laughs> because that was the thing that he never. He always wanted me to do something practical. You that, gotta have a trade. You yeah, have a trade. he is such a tradesman himself that that really seemed. Concrete, something he could really touch. Yeah, and I think acting—you can't—and what mm. we do, performing—it's yeah. just not even writing. I mean, you can produce a you know words on a page, but mm. that's that's nothing. It has to yeah. go somewhere. I mean, it, then it's a it, it is a hobby until it goes. somewhere. Yeah,
0: the it, it, the the clearest way to figure out how amorphous and um, completely. Unsystemic it is, is trying to describe it to a family member over a holiday yeah. dinner. It's going like, so what's going on with acting? Well, at any given moment, someone could call me and I could earn $50,000 in a week. Absolutely. Or I could die in obscurity and never work again. I just don't know. Well, what are you doing to change it? I am here. I am buying a lottery ticket, so to speak, I was going to say, I day. describe
1: it as the uh, publisher's clearinghouse. Yeah, yeah. I said, I'm, I'm waiting by my door uh-huh. to see if the uh, Ed McMahon shows up. Uh-huh. They, yeah. You know Ed McMahon's been dead for years. I'm yeah. Like, well, I oh. did, but they yeah. replaced him. <laughs>
0: but, you know, that
1: his equivalent, yes. probably Ryan Seacrest. Someone, well, yeah. I was going to say, someone who, ageless. Uh-huh, yeah. They, yeah, you know, it's weird because I think that in a weird, I think it's weird looking back on it. Um, it, it took a lot to move out here from Chicago because I didn't know anybody. Yeah, And I think that, you know, out, having spent over 10 years and, and looking what, what, how many friends, or or situations, or groups of um, people you kind of move in and out of, depending yeah. on your situation or where you live in town. Yeah, it's interesting that that I'm I'm right where I want to be, where right. I don't know that in the past. I mean, maybe maybe part of that journey is is knowing that where you want to be is on the way up the mountain. Always, mm-hmm. but I think that was part of it for my parents as well. Is they they're like, you don't know anything about film and television yeah you don't know anything about the people out there because when you do for the most part when you go to theater school they don't have film programs because that's a whole bunch of more money that they don't have to yeah. do editing to mm-hmm. and then and then then they have to teach you directing which then is taking away from the acting curriculum mm-hmm. so there's a danger and i think there's a fear amongst a lot of programs mm-hmm. to say um we're not going to deal with that
0: yeah it also feels like there's a uh there's this hierarchy it 's almost as if to to do a, a comparison you 've got like in in collegiate like music say for example you're there's a lot of classical and there 's a lot of jazz yeah and so jazz seems to be the 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 equivalent of a theater thing you know it's the, it's the pure form absolutely it's, it's the hardest thing to do because not only is it hyper technical um whereas film is as well but you you have to be fit for it and you also have to Learn an entire piece, an entire play, and and be able to, to perform the, char- the arc of a character in an hour and a half, yeah. as opposed to, like, you know, we're doing three pages a day, you know, that kind of a vibe. Well, mm.
1: most of the work that people get will come from theater. Most mm-hmm. of the actors alive that yeah. are working are theater actors. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a very... It's a life that I had never even considered doing, because mm-hmm. um. I'd always considered moving to LA. I yeah. never thought about uh, about doing the regional theater thing, which yeah. I went to school with plenty of people that are doing fantastic yeah. um, in that area. But I, so for me, I kind of wanted to know as much as I could know or what that had to offer, mm-hmm. and then I, I, but with the total understanding and acceptance that as soon as I moved to LA, there would be a lot that I wouldn't know. because yeah. I think a lot of people I run into. Learn it all, mm-hmm. and that's it. I've learned it. I'm done learning. Yeah. I'm, you come to LA, and they go, no, but this is what worked for me on stage. Mm-hmm. And people go, well, it's it's not stage. You're unhirable. No, yeah, that's yeah. exactly right. And mm-hmm. then, and and I think that there's a disconnect because I think that you know even with the, um, with with the show, um, we're learning how to do stuff every day now. Mm-hmm. And there's this really cool thing that we've added that I've never seen in a television show before, where we're essentially doing a four camera show like a single cam because we're shooting across each other mm-hmm. with singles in front of a live audience yeah. through a living set so there's a cupcake window mm-hmm. off of the restaurant and there's an open um it opens up and two people will talk yeah so one there'll be cameras on their side mm-hmm. and there's cameras on my side oh god so they're yeah. shooting it so and I've never seen that from a yeah. show before so we it may have been done, but mm-hmm. we had to learn it. When we mm-hmm. did a first uh, the first few episodes this season, mm-hmm. it took a while. Yeah. And, and and it's something that none of the... It seemed like nobody had done before. Mm-hmm. And and it was really cool to know that um, the, the exploration of something, not only a, to be a part of something brand new, but to um, kind of explore it yourself and see what it does for your acting and kind of makes you more aware yeah. of what you have to do, which I yeah. always think is... Um, when you think it's all been done before it's, it's yeah. so cool.
0: Yeah. Living in, living in the uh, given circumstances and believing the actual given circumstances, but then also the technical aspect of that too. I had, uh, I went and visited, um, big bang theory. Um, it's a great show. It was, it was great because they were doing the, uh, uh a friend of mine had, had like a three or four episode arc on it. So I was hanging out and watching it from, uh, from the back. And, uh, and they just the, the one-off lines. You know that doesn't work. Let's go back and do it again. Then and, and
1: rewriting it on the fly. And that's that what we thing. do.
0: Yeah, that's it's nuts. Where do you guys film over at Warner Bros? Yeah, we do. We yeah. actually film
1: right by them. Oh yeah. It's um it's it's a very cool, um little. Kind of f- four or five shows that are t- like right on top of each other, you know, mm-hmm. in the building. So it's very nice. So
0: it's like you guys, and then like Mike and Molly, and then Big Bang, and and then Two and a
1: Half Men, okay, and Mom and Mom, Mom. We share um, hallways with Mom, okay. So um, it's, uh, but it's it's great. You, you, it's it's kind of fun to be around, and the, you know that type of environment because those are all super successful shows, and mm-hmm. they they bring people from different backgrounds. So you know, whenever you get to run into them, if you the conversations were always very interesting and yeah. um, very sweet people. But yeah, Big Bang Theory is an exceptional show. They're very talented.
0: Yeah, man. I uh, every time I'd go over there for an audition to the the Warner Brothers lot, I I'd, I'd drive up in my terrible, terrible car. And you know, they, you know, when if you're just auditioning, they're always checking your trunk and stuff like that in case you have somebody. In there. And every time they'd open it up, it would just look like an old lady abortion in there. It just just filthy stuff everywhere. And that security guard would kind of look at me and going like. I don't think
1: you're going to get the job, man. That's hilarious. You need to put your life together. Because I'm Mm. still driving that car. (laughs) I drive Mm. a '99 Chevy Cavalier. Oh, guy! And this thing (laughs) has been in. uh, uh, I wasn't in the car, Mm -hmm. but a drunk driver hit the car pretty hard. (laughs) And you know, and it's been and it's been hit. Um, uh, recently this guy like rear-ended me, like I think a, a little bit ago. So. And I think that it's one of these things where LA, you get dinged. Yeah. And, and my thing is, I'm not going to get a new car. I don't yeah. need a new car. Yeah. But I, but when I used to drive on the lot for the first couple of years, mm-hmm. people, all the security guards, they, yeah. they would just. Hey, man, what yeah, are you doing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the show didn't get picked up? Oh, no, we got picked up. Oh, you didn't get <laughs> picked you, up with the show? Be, yeah, yeah. I got picked up with I, the show. I'm, I'm
0: here. It's like, so what are you doing? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was on a, Exactly. I did um, that Marvel Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Oh um, yeah, yeah, it was a blast cool. but like like looking at all the cars and going like, I need to get a regular spot like Tesla, Tesla, Tesla. Oh, that's Madness. how it is. I mean, because yeah. you
1: think about the people that are around us mm-hmm. I mean the the people on Big Bang have been on for like seven years now mm-hmm.
0: there's syndication money since so yes yeah. well we
1: we got syndication after one year, but we but they haven't started rerunning us yeah, yet. yeah yeah so um but it's funny because everybody on the show on on the show I'm on, they all got they all have a mercedes or something like mm-hmm. they all have nice cars yeah and um and i'm the only one i look like um the the guy who hasn't he's not sure he's going to get picked nah. up at the show
0: <laughs> well isn't that great though cuz it's, it it's this it's like you're living your character all the way through yeah uh, yeah, it's, yeah. yeah it's great now you need to just get like weird ukrainian uh, spinners fake spinners the plastic guys or oh, t- tin foil
1: lean in Leaning in. yeah, yeah. <laughs> that that um, the 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 hydraulic system. That's not. That's a lot of. That's a family of squirrels.
0: Yeah, <laughs> literally they're fighting for their lives, but they can't get
1: out because like, you know. yeah, it's like pimp my car.
0: <laughs> well, dude, let's talk about how that show got, how you got started with that show. Mm. Whitney Cummings put that, pitched it, it it got cleared and and went through. What part of uh, were you
1: part of the pilot? And all yeah, that? you know, yeah. it's a Michael Patrick King. Mm-hmm. Um, production. I, okay. I think that he, um, I don't know, um, when him and Whitney had met up, um, about it, but he is the creator, executive producer, head writer, showrunner, um, everything, you know, he's, mm-hmm. uh, he's, and, and Whitney and him, um, they both, gosh, when did I meet them? I met them at, I think the second audition. Mm. And I knew who they were, and um, I had gone in, the the casting director was a friend of mine, still is, and she had brought me in for another role on a Disney show Mm. called Kickin' It, where they wanted me to play or audition for a a Quentin Tarantino, like, hyper intense. Yeah, the wolf
0: Um, kind of a vibe, you know,
1: like. Oh, you know, uh, no, no, it's so funny. It was like a Quentin Tarantino. They wanted me to do almost do Quentin Tarantino, okay, as a director for this terrible (laughs) commercial that Ah. was like in that would like break up a friendship and then of course bring them back together and by the end of the episode. Mm. And I wound up booking that. And while I was there, I um I hadn't seen her in a while and I'd worked with her a few times and she's an old friend and we just kind of you know I was her last appointment of the day and so we just sat down and we talked and Mm. I said like, how's life and how's your family what are you working on and she goes i'm actually working on this new cbs show with michael patrick king and whitney cummings and it was um there's no part for you she's like it's a the part there's a there's one white guy in the pilot who's a series regular he's a 45 year old bald russian (laughs) and um i said well okay i mean i'd love to go in and you know, um, I'd like, she goes, you should, you should come and you should just meet them. Uh-huh. Cause like there will be a part for you down the road. Yeah. But right now there's just nothing. I said, great. I love yeah. it. So yeah. I, I went home. I read the script, laughed out loud, thought it was hysterical. Um, And I came dressed as what I thought the character would be. Like I came dressed in an old white wife beater mm-hmm. undershirt with, I stained with mustard. Yeah. I, I bought these like really sad. Um, they were in the male <laughs> section of Goodwill, but um, they uh, they were these um, brown and black tiger striped pants oh. with really sad faded glitter on the thigh <laughs> and the butt, and uh, and I hemmed them up with safety pins, and I wore these old ratty white gym socks and these old dirty brown leather flip flops, <laughs> and, and I wore a hairnet, solid, and I came in and I met. It was it was. Um, my friend the casting director um her assistant michael and whitney and i had kind of you know i went in i shook everyone's hand and i got down to whitney at the end i shook her hand and i said you know it's it's so nice to meet you i'm such a big fan because i knew it's on some level they were doing my friend a favor by even seeing me because everybody else in the waiting room was older than me by 20 years yeah and um they uh and I shook her hand, and I, and I had watched all the roasts, and so I, I was well aware of who everybody was. But mm-hmm. I realized after I had done that, I had shaken I, I, I everybody's hands, but I but I only said something complimentary to Whitney. Uh-huh. So I kind of stepped back and I said, "I realized that I just shook all of your hands, but I only said something to Whitney. That's because I haven't heard of the rest of you." I'm Jonathan Kite. I am D. B. Me. Let's start this audition. <laughs> and Michael laughed. And you know, and it was cool because he he later told me that's when he knew that I had the the part. Yeah, and it was a thing that we, you know, I think looking back, it might have been a ballsy thing to do, but I think you want people to know because they're casting a person. Yeah, do we get along? Mm -hmm. Will you understand me when I when I when I yell at you? When I. Um, Pull you aside and give you one word, you know, Mm -hmm. and do you speak the same language? Mm -hmm. And I think, do you have the same comic sensibilities? And when Michael and I kind of figured that out about each other immediately, it was Mm -hmm. just so wonderful. Yeah. And so we we did the pilot and... I, and I'm literally sitting here in a suit made of gold.
0: Yeah, he is. He is. I should say so, because um, like, all the hobos are stopping by like he's an apple pie on a windowsill. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Stop,
1: <laughs> stop trying to inhale.
0: Stop, I'm not <laughs> wafting you over. Man, that's... That's a great story. So many times you go in there. You, you're, uh, half the time you walk in the room and you're just apologizing already. Like, I'm really sorry. I'm just, I'm, I, I look, I look. I'll get, I'll get through this, and then you can move on with your day. Please, yeah. just, you know, like, don't shoot me. If you have to, just go for the face because I don't want to suffer. You know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or
1: don't go for the face because it's the money maker. Yeah, it is the money. But maker it's not making me much money. Exactly. No. So maybe the shower will improve yeah. my face. I'm gonna drive away with a car with the spoiler that was put on aftermarket. Yeah, you know? go for the car. Mm-hmm. If you're gonna shoot me, shoot my car. Shoot me right in the car. Well, yeah. that, you know, I think that that, un- it, weirdly enough, is the problem with a lot of, with, with acting in general, is people try to survive the audition yeah. instead of, it's not about booking the part. Like, I always hear things, people go, you just got to go in there and book the part. Yeah. Like, and I don't think that that's like, I think what you have to do is you want to be as clear about who you, you are and what your intentions are mm-hmm. with this character. Yeah. And then if it works, it works. And then I think that that is what works, at least on our show. I I don't know how other sitcoms work, but I think that um, my thing was I had no int- I had every intention and no intention of booking the part. Yeah, I wanted to go in and I wanted to share my sense of humor. Mm-hmm. And then I'd see them in a couple of years when they decided to cast me as something yeah. a guest star. It's
0: a nice little intro. just like you're going like Hey, just want to let you know, like you, okay, mean it, bye. Yeah. Uh, every time that I have booked something. Um, and not necessarily every time I do this, I book something. But every time I have booked something, I I have a conversation with somebody in the waiting room. You know, short, sweet, a kind of like going like, "I'm here. You know, I deserve to be here. You deserve to be here. Let's have fun and go do it." Yeah, and being able to be, to loosen up like that every time that I have miserably failed has been when I just said like, "I'm just going to sit here and be the quiet guy in the corner. I'm going to do my best James Dean, sans cigarette kind totally. of totally. You know, and absolutely." But mm-hmm. I
1: think that that intro is the important thing because I think it's like. When you come in and you start a scene in the middle of the scene, yeah, but you without having any life before it. Mm-hmm. So for somebody to be in the waiting room and just be, and, and it works for certain people. Like you mm-hmm. know, I know, I, um, I don't know, I, like you said, James Dean, or or maybe even, and again, I'm projecting, but like I think of a, a Ryan Gosling, yeah. But it's like you know, but then you look at yourself, and and when we list, we've clearly listed people that that are recognizable we make assumptions about how things work for other people. Mm-hmm. And the truth is the most, what works for everybody is having life before Yeah. is that if, if the, if the, whatever you're doing talking or not, I have a conversation with people when I go in the room because it helps me have a life before I have to go into a scene yeah. that has a life.
0: That is that. That's exactly right. I, there I had a moment thinking about that as it relates to other things like music for the longest time, my wife was really like this. Is when we were in our early twenties. I couldn't stand um, uh, Joy Division. I never, mm. I never understood. I didn't figure. I, I what is this? Yeah. I don't. I don't get this. I don't get this. And then that movie Control came out about the lead singer. Um, uh huh. And and I was on tour. Like I was in um, it was in Columbus, Ohio, and there was nothing to do. And it was a football day game, and I was like, I'm, I'm not a football guy, so I was like let's go to the movies. Let's go see Control. Who's this about? Oh, uh, Joy Division lead singer. Sure, go ahead, Ian Curtis, and. Uh, once I saw that once I figured out where the music came from, I was instantly hooked and then my the veil was lifted, and I loved the music, but I needed the context I yeah. needed to figure out where it came from the context of actually being able to say, listen, this is how I say these words that you wrote right here, but this is who I am and, and what I do yeah so so however I can change whatever this is, just tell me give me a note but this is also what I'm bringing to the table. Well,
1: that's also the fear that I think that most actors have, whether they'll admit it or not, is they're not Daniel Day-Lewis, mm-hmm. and I think the idea that a it bothers people because people don't want to be we're we're all shoved in boxes by ourselves,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, by our parents, whatever. We got
0: a narrative going on, in yes. Our
1: And then to have it done by people that then have the ability to change your life and your bank account. Mm -hmm. So you want to prove to everybody that you can do everything. But I look at, you know, my, one of my favorite actors is like Paul Giamatti. Yeah. Uh, I love Paul Giamatti because I think, I think he's super versatile, Mm -hmm. but I don't think that for one moment does Paul Giamatti, and I'm sure he has personal things going on, but me um, just as a obs- trying to observe his work, mm-hmm. that he plays those characters to the best of his ability and mm-hmm. what he is—he's not trying to do an impression of somebody yeah.
0: else. Yeah, he, yeah, he's—he's he's being Paul Giamatti as that. He's being Paul Giamatti as John Adams, Paul Giamatti as Bob Zemuda. Yes, all those
1: things exactly. He's really able to do that, and he, I appreciate that. And I don't mm-hmm. think. Um, it's funny because I, I do a stand up bit where I do an impression of Paul Giamatti mm-hmm. and I do him as John Adams. And I, because I talk about, well, like, you know, Daniel D. Lewis was the president, but why don't we get Americans to do that? Mm-hmm. And then you go, because the last guy we had to do it was Paul Giamatti <laughs> and he ruined the reputation of our second president. Mm-hmm. But the, But the historical. You know, the accuracy is there. He, Paul, I mean, uh, John Adams was not a particularly likable individual, which is yeah. why Ben Franklin and his, and Sam Adams were in a lot of those meetings. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, but he was very smart. Yeah. And very good, so much so that the British hired him to defend them in the Boston Massacre. Mm-hmm. So there are things that, if you think about, well, maybe Paul Giamatti doesn't always. I mean, my joke about him is Paul Giamatti seems to have never had a good day in his life. <laughs> then, no matter if he's playing gods or monsters, mm-hmm. they, it's the gods' worst day. <laughs> but but that's okay mm-hmm. because we tend to um, put these people up on a pedestal. Probably yeah. Abraham Lincoln, um, mm-hmm. which I would not believe Paul Giamatti as, mm-hmm. and oh, not because. Lincoln had bad days, but we. But it's hard. When you watch Daniel Day-Lewis play him, he didn't have nearly as bad days as John Adams mm-hmm. did when Paul Giamatti played. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Him. And mm-hmm. so I think that we, part of it is the context with which we've put them into, mm-hmm. it, it, that Paul Giamatti's kind of everyman, Your mm-hmm. sad, sad kind of flows very conveniently. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's not gonna play Nelson Mandela in blackface. Yeah,
0: but he also has an inner light that just shines through the candle of in pain. Incredible it's just yeah.
1: Well that's I think that's why people relate to him. That yeah. he's not a he is not um he's not an energy vampire. Yeah. He's not just sitting there, woe is me. Yeah. There is there is a, a struggle. Mm-hmm. And if you like I love um uh, American Splendor.
0: Splendor I had I tried to watch it. I got like three quarters of the way through and I'm like, this is just I mean, oh, when they got to the crumb parts and like, oh good, man, this is just
1: so much. I but when you see him yeah. on uh, Letterman mm-hmm. and you get to meet the real guy, yeah. if you hadn't seen him before, you go, wow, that is, this yeah. dude is real.
0: Yeah. All that
1: struggle, all that love, all that mm-hmm. fear, it's all real. Yeah. And the and that's, and, and that so a guy like Paul Giamatti seems fearless to me mm-hmm. that way. He's not afraid to be a loser. Yeah or whatever you not you but the general term as loser mm-hmm. if that if that's whatever you want to call him but he's a guy in difficult circumstances who probably hasn't been afforded a lot of the privileges that maybe somebody who looks like James Dean has yeah. so mm-hmm. that it's very believable um, in, in i mean the parts that he takes on mm-hmm. yeah, but well, he um, brings his ego and his id together.
0: You know, that id, he, you can see it just that dark underpinning kind yes. of a thing and it just just lights right through, man. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I got the opportunity to work with Bill Paxton. Uh Great like actor. he was just I mean, it was awesome. Yeah. And and it was exactly how you'd want him to be, you know? You'd want him to be exactly how he was and it was it was strange. I kept I kept like trying to think like I don't want to say anything to him. I got to how holidays, huh? Yeah. That, Why did I wear uh, my aliens t-shirt? <laughs> <laughs> I know. And I, I was I, I said, "Hey, did you really make up the line with Game Over?" He's like, "Yeah, man. Oh, that's dude. what I did." Game that,
1: Over, man. Game, game Over. Yeah, yeah. dude. Yeah. It's so great. But you know what's cool about that is people with careers and uh, those those two those guys have played unlikable characters, mm-hmm. and I think the the longevity to break up the way people see you mm-hmm. as as we grow as people, um, and, and if you look at like a body of work, to play people that are unlikable and not even make them likable, mm-hmm. but make them understandable. Yeah, relatable. I think relatable, reason. yeah, is the I think is the key to a, a great career, mm-hmm. a long career, because I think at some point you will play somebody, um, I, and I think people need, that's what I'm trying to look at when I look at scripts is, to maybe look at somebody, and not playing Hitler right off yeah. the bat, um, but to play somebody that maybe doesn't c- like jump off the, the yeah. page as a hero, mm-hmm. as the guy that the audience must like or the film does like. Being the heel, so to speak, yes. here and there.
0: Now, now, where do you see yourself? Where do you want to, to
1: go with this?
0: Do you, do you want to move into some serious stuff, or do you want to, you know? I do. It's mm-hmm. funny.
1: I've done a lot of drama, but since being in L.A., the things that I've probably been known for or... Um, that, that my maybe my real consists mostly of is, is comedy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I did, coming from university um, and high school, I've done so much, and I did a lot of uh, summer stock theater, yeah. a lot of drama. Mm-hmm. So I think that for films, I just want to do things I believe in. Yeah. I mean, I've read plenty of comedies lately that I just didn't think were, mm-hmm. I just wasn't interested in playing. And so I think that if, as long as the script the material, the um maybe the people mm-hmm. involved with it have, have have attracted me to certain projects that I wouldn't necessarily be interested in. I think that that's kind of what I'm, I'm trying to explore more of because when I look at somebody like a Will Farrell or an Adam Sandler mm-hmm. um, and those happen to be comedians, but there are plenty of other Ron mm-hmm. Howard's probably a great example of dramatically. Yeah, yeah. You, you just get together with people that you enjoy working with and you try to tell stories together. Yeah, And I think that's ultimately why I'm in this game. Mm-hmm. is to tell stories that I want to tell and tell them to the best of my ability and um if I need help mm-hmm. then grab the people that'll help tell me stories clearer and you know
0: yeah um speaking of helping with other people and and working in a team the first time I came into contact with you uh was through when you guys had that long run over at Improv Olympic yeah doing uh doing Elron Jeremy yeah the cage match yeah that was Phenomenal! What I would thank do, you. like uh, it, it was it was, was preternaturally the best improv that I had seen up mm. to that point, and still probably, man. Well, thank you. And I I was working over at Hotel Cafe, yes. um, Tendon and Bar, and many times Monday nights, which is when you guys would have it. It was super dead and slow, so I would uh, I would do one of two things: I would kick everybody out of the bar around eleven twenty five, and then bust my ass to get over there in time, or I'd pay someone else to come in. So that I could go check you guys oh, out. Wow. I was I was I was transfixed. I've never seen anybody work like that before. I still have a line stuck when when you guys were doing and it's so strange because it just pro- it came to you in the moment, but now it's 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 cemented in my head. You you and uh I forget the name of the guy, you were both cellmates and you had your hands up against the wall talking about something and and you said like you said something and the other guy says like fuck you for reading my mind and I was like oh, oh come on it's just and you just worked so
1: quickly and so easily together you know it's funny we didn't all know each other before we um kind of put it together because when you sign up for the I, I don't know how it is any anymore over there this was um a little while ago and I feel like there are improv is is like gremlins mm-hmm. and somebody adds water every day <laughs> and so um I think you look at um you look at I think this was probably like four or five years ago but the you had to sign up a year in advance because there were so many teams. You know, it's only fifty-two weeks, so you have to imagine that if fifty-two teams, which is easy considering mm-hmm. they're pumping out new teams every day, mm-hmm. if you we had lost um, the year before um, to a team that wound up going on, I think in winning like forty-three in a row, who are Dang. very close friends of ours, and then the, that old team kind of broke up. It was a very close. Um, vote and it was um, it just wasn't our time we yeah. hadn't really done a lot of improv together we were all we we're all focusing on acting and so at the time we kind of said well we really need to get some people in here even if we don't all have to know them it doesn't have to be like the mob you know we, mm-hmm. we just need people to vouch for people yeah and so we kind of held auditions and about six months later and we went through a lot of different uh, team members and we made some offers to people that wound up turning it down mm-hmm. And then we had people in the group who um, wound up leaving, which I think was probably better for the group in the long Mm -hmm. run. Um, And then we kind of came up with three couples. It was my best friend and I who had done the college improv together. Mm -hmm. And I was in the the theater program with him at university. There were two um, primarily, well, actors, but a lot of, they do stand up together. Mm -hmm. And then there were two guys that grew up together in um, Georgia, Okay. And we so like um and then three of them kind of knew each other. There was each each one of the pair knew each other, somebody. So then they each kind of invited a friend in a way. Yeah. And so it was weird because we didn't know a lot of you know we were, it was a lot of new faces and we got together for about two months ahead of time mm-hmm. and we're like let's just practice once a week just kind of getting to know each other. Yeah. But you don't you know it's those are probably more relaxed than we'd like to admit those rehearsals. Mm-hmm and you can't really rehearse for improv you can only just kind of say familiarize yeah, yeah don't please don't uh ask me cuz what we we always do the guy who said fuck you for reading my mind i'm almost positive that was adam mm-hmm. and adam's adam is so good at so many things but he doesn't do accents he has mm-hmm. a very thick georgian accent uh-huh. and it that's it yeah he, and um and he doesn't do impressions and he mm-hmm. doesn't do so I remember, you know, one time I was like, "Hey, Billy Zane." And it was a funny thing cuz we knew as a group that I had pimped him cuz he was going to be this Southern Billy Zane who mm-hmm. was nothing like Titanic. Mm-hmm. And he um he would, you know, we would use people's um I guess inability to do something mm-hmm. as a way to come up with something interesting because it made us think and him think Mm -hmm. but being aware of our own limitations and strengths that was what we were trying to learn amongst each other and
0: then it came across when he couldn't do it as a Southern Billy Zane as a cool absurdist sort of a thing yeah Yeah. and
1: we and that got a huge laugh because I think a lot of the audience had kind of learned us Mm -hmm. and they had learned that he probably couldn't have done that accent or knew anything about Billy Zane I mean he he probably was aware of who Mm -hmm. he was and that's it Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah it was uh, and then it was fun and then we went on for 52 weeks so then we retired unbeaten. Yeah,
0: and it was it was the greatest run, man. I loved it. Speaking of accents and that kind of thing, and learning to do uh, um, uh, just impressions and yeah. that sort of a
1: thing, when did that start? It started during the writers' strike a few years ago yeah. when uh, when they were looking for. Uh, there's a, a stand-up comedian. They were, I think, they were looking for comedians and giving them sketch shows. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I didn't do stand-up and I didn't do sketch. I had done improv. Um, only with Elron Jeremy out here mm-hmm. and i it was you know it was it was only about a year and a half of my life at that point so cuz most of the things that i've done out here have been just straight acting yeah and so my manager had said well they found this comedian who they think they can sell a sketch show but they're looking for people around him to kind of you know uh, make up the cast around round out a diverse looking because um, it was gonna be like a multicultural sketch show mm-hmm. and um, I went in there and I did like five I say I call them Branson Missouri impressions uh-huh, Yeah. so I did like Christopher Walken mm-hmm. I could do Brad Garrett from Everybody Loves Raymond yeah. um, Tim Gunn mm-hmm. Wallace Shawn from uh, The Princess Bride which I yeah. probably it was and then I did uh, who's the other guy I did like one more I don't. I, could, I could, oh, I could do Bill Cosby. So those are the five I could do. Mm-hmm. And then I think I did like a like Tim Gunn, Brad Garrett, and Wallace Shawn. And they were like, "We love those." But do you do anybody who's on television today, or mm-hmm. like in movies today? And quickly, I said uh, Nicolas Cage and uh, uh Vince Vaughn. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't do either of those impressions. Oh, man. And they were like, well, great. We'll come back for producers on Monday. <laughs> and so I sat in front of my computer and I watched YouTube interviews for, I swear to you, like 48 hours straight. Oh, dang. And I watched the movie Fred Claus, uh-huh. where he bitches out that little girl in the beginning. Yeah, yeah. I've seen that scene. I'm not, I'm not kidding you, like a hundred times. Mm-hmm. And because I really thought that was, and I learned it from an acting perspective which I don't think that that's the better way. That's just what works for me. Mm-hmm. That Vince Vaughn is always trying to sell you something. Yeah, And so I thought, so start there mm-hmm. and then you'll... Because there's you don't want to be a sound... Because there are plenty of impressionists, Dana Carvey being one of them, mm-hmm. very funny. Mm-hmm. I don't know that he's dead on with that George Bush voice, mm-hmm. but you kind of get where he's coming from. Yeah. And he was really able to explore a mm-hmm. man rather than a sound alike. Yeah. And I think for a comedy show that was starting off... I think sound likes don't necessarily. If you can sound exactly like mm-hmm. them, that's a great more power too. Yeah, like a Frank Caliendo who can
0: do like like that. Morgan Freeman is just like Nat's eyebrows. Yeah, on, you know? but and if if you're, it's not radio, it's television. So you got that. That's like right. that's what was good about the Dana Carvey thing is like is the hands and doing the thing and yeah. making it like that. You know, and that. So you've been seeing him and doing it. And obviously, you know the wig department in SNL does not hurt. You know? No, it yeah. does
1: not. And, and and part of it also is that he. Sort of looked like him. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's one of the reasons when I chose impressions originally, like I could easily play Brad Garrett or Tim Gunn on television. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's one of these things where, um, at the time, you know, when you're, I got, I was, I don't even know how old I was, like maybe 28, 29 years Mm -hmm. old, you think the look kind of matters, you know, like me trying to do a Brad Pitt or a Ryan Gosling, Mm -hmm. it doesn't, um, it's, it's funny. It's like if I've ever seen somebody do a Matthew McConaughey, which I, I guess a ton of people do. I, I haven't seen a ton of them. Mm. It's almost always a blonde guy. Yeah. Like or an Owen Wilson. Yeah. They're kind of guys that go somebody I feel like was saying like, oh, you look like them. Yeah.
0: Oh, and then explain. Hey listen, I can I can do an Owen Wilson. That's I'm blonde. I have to. You, you, I was just, gonna say, you yeah, just sit there. Where
1: are you gonna just sit there
0: Connor. you know, do the thing, man. It's everything's gotta be really cool. And if you, know you know? were brunette,
1: yeah. I would have probably been like, yeah. It's just not worth
0: I just don't say I don't see it. But yeah. now
1: I see it. Yeah. I did a Don
0: Knotts, and I can I'm always thinking, like, how, where am I gonna use this? Like, I can't because like, you know Thankfully, I don't look like Dons but if you, you can't really do it. If you, and like look at it, that's coming out of his face. No, nah, it's not. Yeah. Whereas
1: I have done a Don Knotts, yeah, and I booked my first pilot that I ever booked. Um, they wanted a young Don Knotts security guard, really, and they it was a Barney Fife kind a of a Barney Fife is what they said. Okay, and so I got in there, and I came in and did it, and they were like sold. Yeah, and then I booked it, and then they they um they came back and they said. The network said that we don't have enough black people. <laughs> so this guy has now got to be black. Oh, man. And that happened, that, that was – I was young. I mean much younger than I am now. But it was – they wanted kind of this like screwball police academy, yeah. Barney Fife kind yeah. of guy. And it wound up going to – A Michael Owens kind of a guy. You know, you know it's yeah. funny. No, no. It actually wound up going to a Michelin Man-sized uh, black guy okay, who's super funny and I saw his yeah. work and I just a very different interpretation and they probably changed a lot of the lines and mm-hmm. stuff and equ- I mean just very very funny um but it was one of these things where you think um when am I going to use the Donuts yeah yeah because I didn't I didn't realize oh I, you know who's the other one I could do I could do Peter Lorre Peter Lorre that was the first impression oh, I ever learned oh
0: the, the from the, the certain guy yeah. Um, yeah
1: that was the first one I ever learned and uh but of course, like you said, no one was interested. Yeah, we're doing a modern sketch show. They're like, yeah. you're, "You got to hear my uh, That's my Don yeah. my Peter Laurie." Yeah, you're gonna, <laughs> you're, gonna, you're gonna.
0: Hey, wait a minute! From 50s, 60s television. Oh it, my like, god, this is gonna test so well a 65.
1: Plus. Have you not seen my Lionel Barrymore? <laughs> well, I uh, hope you're sitting. Wait down. for my Douglas Fairbanks. It's silent. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it only works on radio. Mm-hmm. I don't know though. It's uh, it, it was it was interesting to find things that so I that that people would believe me in as I kind of learned them, you know, because mm-hmm. I think that was what I, with Nicholas Cajun and Vince Vaughn, not that I look exactly like them, but mm-hmm. it was enough. I don't know where my brain was going, but it just said, try these. Yeah. And then I went home and I learned them and I came back and I... Well,
0: you're Vince Vaughn. It's uncanny, dude. Oh, thanks, it's, man. It, you know, like, like the, there's something, the formance of the way your mouth moves, it's, it's just exactly what he does. But then the improv dialogue you do, that's selling everything,
1: that's that's like that little key, you know, that little... Yeah, thanks. I thing. think because I, I can do... A lot of sound-alikes. No. But I think that I when I do stand-up, I probably do 20 or 30 impressions. Mm-hmm. But I only do ones that I have a really... Like, I do Jeff Bridges, mm-hmm. but I don't do him on stage, really, because I haven't really found out what's funny mm-hmm. about him to me. Yeah. You know, I, you know I've, I, he's made me laugh. And you know, in conversation, I'll talk about him to people, and we'll have a, an interesting point of view on him, I think. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't really... Nothing that has warranted me saying a presentation. Yeah, that specific Jeff Bridges. Like everybody goes, oh, that's Jeff
0: Bridges. You have to you know, do a little intro. Like, I think my listeners are going to go crazy on this. I have you do at least one little bit of
1: Vince Vaughn. I, uh, I'm i excited right now. You know what I'm saying, baby? Yeah, I, yeah. Uh, yeah. Vince Vaughn, I'm saying he, he's the type of guy who's like, can I tell you something right now? <laughs> I, got- I brought some Tupperware over here. It's Mary Kay. You did? Uh, <laughs> you know what I'm saying right now. Because you could use it. Everybody could use <laughs> Mary Kay. I'm not saying another woman because I know that you're married, baby. You, gotta, you got that right. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> it's, it's- it's nuts, dude. Thanks, man. Yeah. yeah,
1: so it's, you know... I don't know. It's one of these things where it was a hobby for me and then I, I booked the Jamie Foxx sketch show, which was like the new and living color and mm-hmm. I was the white guy on the show. Yeah. And you were so the new Jim Carrey kind of guy. W- well, you know what was interesting was they... We tended to do a lot of impressions. Whereas if... I, you know, looking back, um, obviously if there was a white guy that they needed, Jim did it. Mm-hmm. But I think that we... There hadn't been... At the time, Jay Farrow now, who's incredible, who's on SNL, he didn't exist um, in terms of the public eye. I think mm-hmm. so. We there was a lot of impressions that we did, and we tended to focus a lot on impressions. And so, whereas um, I don't even know if I got to, I'm sure I must have played some characters on that show, but we only we did like twelve episodes, and six aired. Mm-hmm. And I think that, but it was in, I I pitched them like forty characters mm-hmm. in two days. And they were just like, Come, bring us everything and then stand in front of us and pitch us characters. Okay. And But but what got across, or what made it was, um, they wrote a sketches, You know, they had a whole team of writers and they were like, do you do a Tom Cruise or do you do a Kevin Spacey or something? And mm-hmm. then um, I would have to go learn it yeah, and figure out if it was working. So mm-hmm. I think that that's probably the thing that I attribute the most is preparing for that audition and being a part of that process because mm-hmm. that was... That audition was really the most... That was the only thing about auditioning for Two Broke Girls. Not only did I believe in every... you know, I believed in the script. They told me Kat Demings was a part of it. I love Whitney and Michael. But I had just gone through. I had just booked the Jamie show the year before. yeah. And that audition process was so intense that kind of other things after that, just they don't seem yeah. that intense. You mean
0: i have to do one, not 40? Yeah.
1: That's what it was. They got... You got in front of a room and, you know... um. Uh, For other sketch shows I've auditioned for, you get like five minutes. Mm -hmm. And I remember they, for this one, they were like, just keep going. Like, you just keep going. What you have, you have. Mm -hmm. And I remember this woman in the second audition, you got to meet everybody. They wanted you to know who you were competing against. okay And it was super intense because the executive producers were there from day one. There was no like prelim. You sent in a tape and then when you when you presented, it was the three executive producers that you met immediately. Yeah. Like, so that was your first live yeah. experience with the show. Run
0: out of a moving car. Yeah. That's the right.
1: Yeah. Yes, and and so they wanted you. They wanted you to know that there was no easing your way into mm-hmm. it. That if you couldn't impress these people immediately, yeah. you wouldn't impress America at mm-hmm. home.
0: And that's the stress and the pressure of the sketch, man, because it's always it's so immediate you've got these things that you have to like this happened this week, so like you know who doesn't Anthony Weiner because he's just gotten into a big scandal let's do
1: this that's know? exactly what it was mm-hmm. and they had they had asked me for a list, and I could do I kept learning them I think every now you know Jamie and I would have a discussion, and i would I did a joke with him that we it, it never aired so but I wanted to do this thing where um I did a sequel to every movie he'd ever been in. Mm-hmm because he it's it's always like him and a famous white guy. Yeah. And then we were going to do these sequels like an ongoing, you know, running or, or whatever. And uh even if they had died in the movie, somehow <laughs> they were back. Yeah. And they were going like they're at it again and everything was <laughs> was like an 80s movie sequel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there was like Colin Farrell and Jamie Foxx are in Miami Vice 2, <laughs> still license. <laughs> and like and it was just going to be so for a long time I worked on you know like Robert Downey Jr and and Colin and Gerard Butler and Tom mm-hmm. Cruise and like everybody that I cuz I go the, the makeup department at that point I'm like the mm-hmm. makeup department can take care of it. Yeah.
0: You just so, have to get close. Yeah yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. So and that was really cool and so we wound up shooting a bunch of stuff that never made it to the air mm-hmm. which was kind of unfortunate but it was a wonderful experience and and so now I just kind of you know years later I got into stand up about a year and a half ago and uh I just decided. Well, I have all these impressions, and mm-hmm. I enjoy telling jokes ab- about them, or or you know, about the business that we we live in, and um, so I was able to put them to use because for mm-hmm. a long time they you know they were just a hobby, mm-hmm. and I didn't really have any intentions of of being like a uh, you know an impressionist. I suppose yeah. you know. Yeah, I enjoy impressions very mm-hmm. much, but I I had no um, intention. I learned the impressions to book the Jamie Foxx thing. Yeah. Cause I was such a huge, fan. I am a huge fan of his mm. and I loved in living color so much. That was mm. my favorite show from my youth. Yeah. And so other than that though, you know, n- and n- you know, necessity was it. I didn't, I learned it when mm. I had to learn him. And then when I, it wasn't something that I'd worked on for ye- Like you hear guys, it's amazing. I, I read an article with Jay Farrell where they asked how long it took him to do Denzel. And he was like years, Yeah, but mm. it's like the best I've ever heard. Mm-hmm. And, um, so good for him. But yeah. no, I just that just wasn't me. I didn't I hadn't worked on like Vince Vaughn mm-hmm. for five years mm-hmm. or ten or whatever, you know. But if you
0: get the ear and then and then the acting background has got to do it because you're you're trying to figure out what makes this guy tick or what makes That's this right. guy what makes this guy a character. That's and then right. you you broaden that up and make it a caricature. Ever get a chance or, or work anywhere near trying to
1: get on SNL? I had gotten um I had gotten with um what, what was the timeline? I had I had submitted a tape uh one year my thing was I loved SNL I still do um I think it, being in New York it was one of these things where it kind of like I was aware that it existed and I watched it every week but mm-hmm. it seemed like a separate thing it yeah. was like it seemed like I'm a huge basketball fan it seemed like I would watch basketball on TV and mm-hmm. then go do my stuff mm-hmm. and I didn't really ever have the connection yeah maybe that's something i would do because yeah. i didn't do impressions um i could do characters but i know that you needed like something like three impressions or something yeah, three and-
0: impressions one political and then i think of uh four characters five minutes to give or eight minutes think, did you audition no i uh i got close to sending in a tape but then uh, i chickened out because it was like you said but, like that was something that i appreciated that was part of my part of my culture mm-hmm. and uh and but I was just too terrified to do it. When I first got to LA I you know, I immediately joined the Groundlings or did started
1: taking classes yeah. when I was
0: nineteen years old and then wow. like I just freaked out you know i i I got terrified of
1: it but good for you for starting young because i feel like people start too late Mm -hmm. and they don't realize Mm -hmm. it's a process it's going to take a lot longer yeah
0: well the difficulty is is that i I had some bad uh i i got in acting i thought you know this is the church of acting we are we are divining the human spirit we're distilling it down and we're putting it up on celluloid and we are we are doing the real work right and then i got on set and somebody says like yeah well do it right. Make sure your face is pointed that way. We're, you're, we're late, you know. Fucking, just go take a walk and come back and do it better. You yeah. You like, I mean this is a job? Living I props. That, I thought I was yeah. I thought that I was some sort of priest. Yes. You know, shepherding in this yes. idea, and uh, and it got to me, you know. I, I, and so I freaked out for a while, and that's why I, I left and, and uh, left the business for a while. I actually, ended up being a plumber for about oh eight months. Oh my god. Eight months, and then came back. It was it was a very you know it's a whole story where I. I um, a guy that I had, uh, I, I played this gay game, seamstress guy on uh, on a music video, and uh, I told him I also played music, you know, on the side, and he ended up, I, I had left, he called me up one day when I was on the job site building a holiday inn in farm country, Northern California, and he says, hey, would it be okay if we used one of your songs that you sent me via email on this new commercial I was doing? Uh, yeah. How does that pay? Like five, six, seven hundred dollars. It's like it's about ten grand. Is that okay? Wow. Took that money and moved back like down. Yeah. yeah. I, otherwise, I'd probably just be you know pretend, trying to do my Walden Pond thing somewhere where I wouldn't be hurt with all my in, in,
1: introspection. So. But you, you, you know what? I think it gives you perspective, though. Yeah. That's the thing that I think is important. If you don't have one of those defining moments, it doesn't have to happen in acting, or it doesn't have to. It doesn't have to be a Wizard of Oz moment where the curtain is mm. pulled and you yeah. realize it's BS. Because for me. I think that I was being on um, having, I should say I I really credit teachers with, with having that kind of um, bringing constant reality to us when we were in, in in high school and college and kind of letting us know that, you know, the performance, but take away, look at yourself, kind of be aware of what's happening Mm -hmm. at all times. Mine came in life. And so where I kind of had realizations and, and these kind of, you know, light bulb moments and to look back and, and kind of then realize, Oh, that fits with it. And that's kind of what happened with SNL that I realized I, I had learned so many other things in life and I realized this is possible. But then the year that I was going to really put together something that I was super proud of after having all that experience, I booked two broke girls before I even made the tape. Wow. So it's one of these things where I would have loved to have auditioned for SNL and, Mm -hmm. um, but I I I didn't you know and it, I don't think if I had auditioned when I was younger I don't think I would have been successful on the show I yeah. think that I had too many um, I don't think I had a maturity level in myself I mean I'm sure that there there are immature actors that mm-hmm. are on there and but I think that it, it wouldn't have worked for me yeah. so I think everything worked out hmm? fine
0: yeah I, it's working out great uh, now are you um, you're. Uh doing stand up. Are you playing anywhere soon?
1: I'll be at the parlor on Monday. Um and I'll be at the Laugh Factory on Saturday. I don't even know what those dates are. Okay, this well this said. is probably gonna air on Monday, so tonight. Tonight I will be at the parlor. Uh-huh. And uh and then th- this coming Saturday I will be at uh the Laugh Factory at the ten o'clock show. Awesome. So we'll see. Um it's fun. I don't I don't usually do stand up in town mm-hmm. um because we're too busy with the show. And yeah. that um um but uh, it's nice to to kind of have little pockets of time to kind of go carve stuff out because I'm working on new before I take stuff on the road for the summer. Mm-hmm. That's usually where I do most of my work as I as I travel during the summer from town to town mm-hmm. and kind of uh, Applying your wares and, and yeah, she- yeah 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 my snake oil yeah nice but uh, but yeah we'll see I mean it's fun but then after that I don't there's nothing scheduled for me for a long for a mm-hmm. while I think all right um, not until May in Chicago
0: cool man. All right. Well, uh, dude, I want to thank you so much for
1: coming in. Dude, thank you so much Absolutely. for having me. a pleasure. Yeah. Good to see you. Good to see you, too. So
0: what did you guys think of that, huh? That was a great conversation. I thoroughly enjoyed it. We turned the mics off, and we were heading out the door, and he stayed and talked for another 20, 30 minutes. Just about industry about art about making it in la about living in la he's he's just exactly what you want him to be he's a good guy i hope we get to know him more he's i, I, I want to jonathan i know you're listening you be my friend that was just that was just an absolute blast Continue to spread the word about Shark Brain. Post it on your Facebooks, on your Twitters, on your various social networks. But remember, do take some time out during the week to unplug and just look at the sky and be grateful for the fact that, A, you might not be in the polar vortex, but if you are in fact still alive and listening to the sound of my voice... Wow, it's not getting morbid, Jake. Come on, it's winter already. People need all the help they can get. Seasonal Affectation Disorder. Do you know anything about that? Come on! All right. Love your friends and be well.